is such a privilege to be with you today to 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 pray together to sing together to to share life together we're on our second of three sermons having to do with stewardship and so um, we'll continue one more week with that. I want to emphasize that we have a potluck after worship next Sunday um, and that we can eat together. Could you have imagined that a year ago, that we would have a time when we can do that again? I am so grateful. Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. It's short, but there's a lot packed in there. Hear these words this morning. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with, with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. In this series that we've been doing, we've been talking about abundance and gratitude. It seems like those things go hand in hand. This week, though, we're going to honor our community and our culture. The, the here and now, in other words. Who are we? And whose are we? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to begin by acknowledging an important milestone of this congregation. On November 12, 1992... This congregation became a reconciling congregation as University Park United Methodist Church. Now, if I do my math right, that's 30 years ago. And I have to give credit of bringing that to the forefront of our thinking to Scott Jensen. Scott sent me an, an email telling me, I know that I'd read it somewhere, maybe reminding me that this milestone was happening. Um, but Scott didn't just remind me of that milestone at that time. Scott um, shared two stories with me that I have permission to share with you this day about when this change took place. Karen, this one is about your mom. Uh, your mom told this story about being ready to vote no um, to, on the reconciling vote. She was from a time that was traditional, and Scott said, well, you get it. It was just part of that, that culture then. She walked to church the few blocks from their home. On the way, she said she heard a voice come upon her and said, how dare you decide who has access to my home? I have gotten, I have, I have, I have gotten the word. 
she Scott says he may have gotten the word access our home wrong, but that was the sentiment that she shared with him. And it was powerful hearing her tell it. You know, I didn't know your mom, but I've heard the stories. She looked around and knew it was the voice of the Spirit of God who came upon her, and she knew how to vote. And then some of you may remember someone named Florence Faust. Scott gives this context. I'd known our longtime pastor, Jean Kepner, um, for several years in the community. We served on the Neighborhood Association Board where I later became chair. And then I moved, um, then after I moved in, she became chair. Several weeks earlier, I asked her about gays and her church. She said there were many, and at that time it was true, and they were more than welcoming. Florence was a cat lady with many, many cats. And I always felt she smelled like cat urine. But she was a nice older lady and cared for others. Little did I know that, but that she never, she'd never go into the sanctuary um, because she felt unclean or something. Some trauma in her past, perhaps, that she de deemed would prevent her from going in. But she sat in the narthex and listened to the service. Back to Christ. I think I lost my feed here. Can you hear me now? Okay. I don't want you to miss this. So she said, welcome back to Christ. She had no idea that I'd separated from the church. Now badly I wanted to be part of a congregation who valued me for what I am. I don't know if Florence said that to everyone or if she sensed I needed to hear that that day. Or if I like to think the spirit of the Lord came upon her when she welcomed me that day. And I will never forget those two women. Lord, hear my prayer. And Scott. And I'm guessing that if I ask you all, if there are stories that you remember from then until now about inclusion within this congregation, you will have stories to tell. And I wish that we had time to, to, to share the mic and tell those stories, but I, I'm really hoping that, that it stirs within you those memories of who we are and whose we are, because I don't think that we've ever forgotten those two things in the lifetime of this congregation. The stories that I've heard since I came to be your pastor tell me that you know who you are and you know whose you are. Other, in, other decisions influence, influenced who we are. Um, becoming open and affirming in 2011, those ripples of those choices and so many others helped bring the Portsmouth Union Church into being in, in 2015. The gifts of those who have gone before make PUC 
possible as it stands today, a congregation beautifully blended in a dance of being fully united Methodist and fully disciples of Christ. So I want you just to hold our history as you stand in this presence today, to hold our history that tells you who we are. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. We need to move into our scripture for today, but just let the echoes of those decisions play in the back of your mind as we continue on. Um, First Peter is a most empathically practical epistle. An epistle is just a letter. Peter writes to Christians who are suffering, most of whom were suffering away from home. They were living in the dispersion. That's, it was kind of political and it was, you know, they were all spread out and no one was where they wanted to be. And no one was where they could call a place home. This was a dispersion caused by persecution. And the author that I looked at said that this is probably the persecution that's mentioned in Acts 8. So if you want to look back at that and see what was going on, you can. Peter remained in Jerusalem while many were scattered abroad. Though he was absent from them in body, he was very present with them in heart. He, this was the church of his heart. With such affection, he was compelled to write what is, in fact, inspired pastoral counsel to these people. His primary concern was that they continued making spiritual progress amid their suffering. Indeed, because of their suffering, he wanted them to continue to grow. To grow in faith, to grow in spirit, to grow, just to grow. And so that's the backdrop of today's scripture. Peter's great love and concern for the people he serves, these people who were suffering and that he loved so deeply. So that's kind of the backdrop. There's a quote that I, I found um, from Albert Schweitzer, who was a phys physician, theologian, missionary, who won Nobel Peace Prizes. One time someone asked him to name the greatest person alive in the world at that moment. How would you answer that? Who is the, who is the greatest person alive right now? I wouldn't have a clue. His answer, though, is amazing. The greatest person alive, he said, in the world at this moment is some unknown individual in some obscure place who is at this hour, who at this hour has gone in love to be with another person in need. Wow. So this, this unnamed person who has gone to help an unnamed person out of the love that's in their heart, is the greatest person of all time. Wow.
So as we look at this scripture, a couple of things to point out. It is love, hospitality, and service that Peter says are essential to the work of the ministry, to our identity as followers of Christ. It's how we present as the hands and feet of Christ. It's not all the things we do, but, but, it's how we do them and why we do them. In, his, in this first letter to the church in Asia Minor, Peter says, Above all, maintain constant love, be hospitable, and serve one another. This kind of sounds like our walking papers today, doesn't it? The things that we should be doing. I don't like the word should. Maybe if I phrased it this way the things that we are called to do. Constant love, hospitality, and service. I kind of like that a little bit better than that should piece. When you think about working in Christ, doing the work of ministry, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Is it the things we do, the tasks? Here we fill the pantry, we make lunches. Soon we will provide affordable housing to our new neighbors. Each of us has a role in what we do, those who do the work, those who support the work, those who give monies towards the work, and those who pray for the work. All of those pieces are important to what we do here. So when you think about the work that we do, what is the very first thing that comes to mind? You see, I think sometimes the first thing that comes to mind is that the task is bigger than we are. That there's more to do than we can possibly do. I think our minds as humans go there. We're just a few There's more that need our help. However, if we take that little frame that we have of the way we look at the world, last year, last week I talked about being the frame, one frame being um, scarcity and the other being abundance. If we're looking at that scarcity frame, we're looking at the lack. If we look at that abundance, frame, we can see that we're part of something bigger, that it's not just up to us, that we join our efforts with the efforts of those around us. We see that all the time here. We see that our community members around us bring food for the food pantry. We see that those who receive from the food pantry often are the ones that do the cleanup. Last summer, uh, Karen experienced having some of our houseless neighbors helping with the yard work. You see, we're some, part of something bigger than us. We are. So we think of all of those things, but I, I want to take that frame and I want to adjust it one more time. 
And that's that we look at that frame not only through the eyes of abundance, but through the eyes of love. You see, Peter knew something that is hard for us to put our minds around, is that all that we do and all that we are and all that we can be is dependent not on us, but on the love that God gives us and invites us to give others. You see, love is that thing. You know, I, I have such an interesting relationship with one of the verses in this passage when it talks about love covers a multitude of sins. My brain goes, oh my goodness. So, you know, the first thing my humanness goes like, well, what, are, what sins are we talking about? And then I realize that it doesn't matter. That actually sin is just missing the mark. That's, that, that's actually what the definition of that word is, is missing the mark. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of ways to miss the mark. That time I get irritated because someone got in my face out in the pantry. I'm missing the mark if I can't love them. That time when I butt heads with my brother Randy, who I love, but we're very different people. I'm missing the mark. When I get irritated at things, I'm missing the mark. And so if I can miss the mark, I'm pretty sure that everyone else can too. And that if love, can cover over those places of where we miss the mark, can't that happen for others as well? When we look at our world through eyes of love, it's a totally different thing. Because first we acknowledge that we all have hurts, habits, and hardships. We have hurts, habits, hardships, and hang-ups. We all do. We all do have those thin places where it's really easy to get on our last nerve. We do. Now, I know I just fell off the pedestal you put me on. I know that. Because I have those as well. And I am so glad that I don't have to be perfect. The little hint here that Peter is giving us is that we don't have to be perfect and, that's not but, it's and, we are invited to look at everything through the eyes of love. Love is our most important work. Peter encourages his followers to, to use the gifts that God has given them to serve others. Now, I think that that's an important piece because I think that sometimes we think that we have to serve the same way someone else does. But this is saying to serve out of your place of giftedness. 
Anyone out there want to come up and preach? I have to smile because there was a time when I wouldn't have raised my hand for anything. However, each of you are gifted in your own unique way. And it may be a little different way than it was, say, in your younger years. Maybe you can't do the things that you did before. Find a new thing. Do a new thing. Love a new way. A kind word. A card that comes in the mail. I could list, go on and on and on and on of things that we can do without doing the physical work that it takes to do ministry. And at the same time, acknowledge that we need those who are able to do the work of the ministry in a more physical way. We need both. We couldn't do what we do if we didn't have those who support us in prayer. We couldn't do what we do. We didn't have those that support us financially. We couldn't do what we do if we didn't have those who could actually do the hands and feet work. All are needed. Peter has this, this, you know, it's, this thing that says when, when we love, we cover a multitude of missing the mark. When we love, we affirm the dignity of each person. When we love, we actually affirm our own dignity. Because as we put love out into the world, what comes back to us? Love, because you can't love others without feeling love for self. Otherwise, it becomes this crazy cycle. Love, love, love. And we acknowledge that our ability to love comes because we are loved by God. That the strength that we have in our everyday life comes from the love of God. Our service is to be directed by God. And we need God's love to do service. If we keep our focus on who we are and whose we are, God is glorified by what we do. And that's not a something here by and by that'll happen someday. It's in the here and now because every time we we serve with love, God's kingdom comes a little closer to the here and now. Every time we reach out to those in need, that kingdom becomes 
more. Here at PUC, I see every day that we are motivated by love. We show up, whether it's doing the work, praying for, giving monies toward, we show up. And I know that the last two years have been a struggle. <laughs> you know, Brenda and I had a little bit of a conversation this morning talking about when I arrived here, that you had been closed for a long time. And we worked on opening back up and to be to the point where we are right now, where we can meet together. But we haven't forgotten that we have those who can't be with us and we stream. And we are grateful that we can share in two ways. We are. And we commit to the ministries that are important to us. That's our culture. That's our community. And I want to kind of close our time here. You know, we started out talking about those milestones that brought us to where we are today, but I want to, to close our time with what I see when I walk into the church building and I can see on that wall of the narthex. It's Micah 6.8. God has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do mercy, to love kindness, and to walk humbly, humbly with God. And that, my friends, is how we step into the future, with full knowledge of who and whose we are, and those words on our hearts as we love the world that God has given us. Thank you, God, for that, for the love which teaches us to love. Amen.